Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with rock and roll expert Frank Ost. Frankie, welcome. Uh, it's great to be here. We are going down our list of uh, Beatles, solo artists, one by one, Paul McCartney, and then John Lennon last week. This week is George Harrison, The Quiet Beatle. The Quiet Beatle, And then yes. Ringo Starr will round things out next week as we move along through season four. Now that our Hall of Fame inductees have uh, been talked about, um, we've been really enjoying our Two Should Get In segment. And some of these acts I've noticed have been nominated before, maybe six, maybe five years ago, sometimes multiple times. Exactly. Uh, I don't think Jim Croce has been nominated yet, and I'm going to make a case for Jim Croce. If you don't mind if I start? Yeah. uh, In fact, oddly enough, when I saw the name, I thought he was already in, so he kind of tells you where I'm thinking. You would think he would. <laughs> he left behind such a fantastic catalog of music, Frank. His greatest hits album, Photographs and Memories Alone, I think is worth induction. Uh, but his definitive collection, I got a hold of in 1999. It features about 40 songs from Jim from his entire short-lived career. Great nuggets, like the hits, but of course other songs like This Time Next Time, Thursday, Hey Tomorrow. Alabama Rain. It's great for downloading. It's great to just sit around a fireplace or something at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to put you in a, a down mood. In fact, it'll put you in a, a upbeat mood with some of his tunes, like One Less Set of Footsteps, You Don't Mess Around with Jim, I Got a Name, is, is an, in the vein, too, where it kind of makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like others who died way too young, Otis Redding, Buddy Holly, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, like to see him get some consideration for the Hall of Fame. He's got some number ones to his credit posthumously. Time in a Bottle, Fall of 1973. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you If I could make days last forever If words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time to do the things and just before his tragic death in August of 1973 was Bad Bad Leroy Brown, uh, plus other hits like Operator and I Got a Name, I'll have to say I Love You in a Song. Many, many others. He was a hardworking musician, wasn't he? Absolutely. And so he died along with a a band member on his way to a show in Sherman, Texas, which is just by the border of Oklahoma there, uh, in August of 73. Tragic death, but great catalog of music. So I think Jim Croce, long awaited. He should be at least nominated for the Rock Hall. Absolutely agree. What do you have? Well, my, one of my uh, favorite underrated rock bands is the Average White Band. Huh? Uh, <laughs> it was their self-titled second album, better known as their White Album. Uh, that rocketed up the charts in 1974 to number one, pretty much out of nowhere. You could say it was the average White Album. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
As many as eight of the ten tracks are classics, uh, with all but one written by the group themselves. Uh, they all hailed from Scotland, Scotland, yet sounded like a funked-up band from Motown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the silky smooth voice of Hamish Stewart, the horn arrangements by Roger Ball, gave them a truly original song sound. Uh, although I, they never reached those heights either critically or commercially again, uh, they still managed 13 top 40 albums and singles. Uh, classic tracks, of course, include uh, Pick Up the Pieces, Work to Do, Cut the Cake, Schoolboy Crush, and um, one of our favorites, of course, Queen of My Soul. Oh, yeah. Uh, all of which still get airplay today. Uh, they are still a working band today, recording and still touring. I can tell you I've seen them twice in concert, and they're anything but average. I bet you they are. Alan Gorey, the, uh, one of the vocalists, uh, an original member, still touring at the band Frankie, Average White Band, me, Jim Croce. All right, Frankie, this day in rock history, November 15th, 1956, Elvis made his acting debut in the film Love Me Tender. Really? Love I didn't me realize tender. that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. 1956, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Harrison performing as Johnny and the Moondogs appeared on the final round of Britain's Star Search in Manchester, England. They sang Think It Over, and It's So Easy, a couple of Buddy Holly tunes. And they had those shows back then. They did. Wow. Audience response determined who would win, as was the case back then. And so they were about ready to advance, but they couldn't because they didn't have enough money for an overnight stay, so they had to go home. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say that they got beat out by a dog act or something. (laughs) By the Terriers. Exactly. 1965. Rolling Stones were making their debut all over the place, this time in the NBC show Hullabaloo, performing Get Off My Cloud. Nice. 1966, Jefferson Airplane records the soon-to-be top hit, Somebody to Love. Great tune. Yeah, it was great. 1969, Janis Joplin was arrested at a show in Tampa, Florida for what they called vulgar and indecent language. The charges were eventually dropped. Hmm. That's interesting. 1971, Grand Funk Railroad released their sixth album, E Pluribus Funk. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1975, ABBA, your favorite uh, group, oh, yeah, appeared on American <laughs> Bandstand, performing SOS and one of my favorites, I Do, I Do, I Do, I Do, I Do. Yeah, well, that's kind of where they belong, lip-syncing their music on American Bandstand. Yeah. <laughs> George Harrison's going to be our featured artist today, and in 2000 on this date, the man who attacked him at his house, at George's house in December of 1999, was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Michael Abram was his name. He was released from a mental hospital in 2011. Really? 2009, now 61 years old, Yusuf Islam, now known as Yusuf Cat Stevens, performed in Dublin. The start of his first tour since 1976. Wow. That was 2009. And in 2015, P.F. Sloan passed away at 70. He wrote these big hits, Eva Destruction, You Baby by The Turtles, uh, Must to Avoid by Herman's Hermits, Secret Agent Man by Johnny Rivers. Oh, one of my favorites. Unfortunately, his material was lost in that tragic Universal Fire in 2008 oh, on California. And Roy Clark of Hee Haw fame died at age 85 in 2018. Birthdays, Petula Clark, my love, downtown, uh, you know, don't sleep in the subway, 1932. Clyde McFadder of The Drifters was born in that same year. Kevin Eubanks, remember the former leader of The Tonight Show Band? He was born in 1957. And if you're a big fan of Nickelback, you'll be happy to know that Chad Kroger 
was born in this date in 1974. Wow, I didn't realize Petula Clark was well into her 30s when she had those <laughs> those hits in the 60s. Yeah, she was. Jeez. 35 when my love came Absolutely. out, for instance. Mm-hmm. Shailene Woodley, she's uh, turning 30 today, November 15th. She's the actress and fiancé of Aaron Rodgers. She was in uh, the Divergent movies, I yeah. believe. Yeah, and also mm-hmm. The Descendants, the George Clooney Hawaii movie. Okay. Concert calendar time, Frankie. Not a lot going on. Right, It must right. be the holiday season approaching, you know, where everybody's uh, indoors now. Exactly. The Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse will be hosting Genesis on Tuesday, November 30th, right at the end of the month. Yeah, that should first be a North big American one. tour, yeah. Dave Kaz Christmas show with Jonathan Butler. He'll be there. Dave Kaz is Definitely. one of my favorite performers. Ours will be at the Palace Theater, the Connor Palace, downtown, Wednesday, December the 8th. It'll be great. Always a good show. Gets us in the Christmas mood. Yep, Definitely. And remember, we have our top 10 Christmas songs coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Going to split it up into two weeks, uh, 10 to 6 for each of us, and then 5 up until number 1 the next week as we head toward Christmas. Just the, the first uh, next couple of weeks, Donnie Iris and the Cruisers at the MGM Northfield Park, but they've been busy there. They had Chicago there and That's the Monkees. That's right, yeah. That's on Saturday, December 11th. John Waite, you know, Babies, Bad English, Good Solo Career. Uh, Friday, the 17th at Kent Stage. And REO Speedwagon, also at the MGM Northfield Park Center Stage, Saturday, the 18th. All right, brand new segment, Frankie. Your idea, Rock Releases, the week of November 15th. These are all albums that came out uh, during the week of November 15th over the years. Velvet Underground's Loaded. 1970. Their swan song, yes. Homecoming by America in 1972. That featured um, Ventura Highway. A soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever that featured, let's see, uh, hmm, about, what, two dozen hits? Yeah, I think that was the uh, kind of the soundtrack to the next year. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> and it preceded the movie, which was released in time for Christmas. But, uh, you know, it, to gain steam, that soundtrack was released. And How Deep Is Your Love had already been hitting the charts for about a month or so. Barbara Streisand, Greatest Hits, Volume 2, 1978. Also that same year, Blondes Have More Fun by Rod Stewart, his disco era with yeah, uh, that's Do when You Think he, I'm Sexy. He started to turn away from rock and roll yeah. and go into a more popish, uh, disco-ish thing. Yeah, yeah, everybody was back then. Mm-hmm. That was the number one tune, that uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy. Yep. John Lennon's Double Fantasy, 1980. Ugh, wow. November the 17th. Our life together is so precious together we have grown we have grown although our love is still special let's take a chance and fly away somewhere It's been too long since we took the time No one's to blame, my no time flies so quickly Starting out Every day 
Just a couple of weeks later. Yes. Buffalo Springfield came out with Buffalo Springfield again in 1967. And in 1974, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis was released. Brain Salad Surgery, ELP. Good nice. one. George Harrison's 33 and a third. Volunteers, Jefferson Airplane. To our children's children's children, you know, Moody Blues. Sly and the Family Stone, Greatest Hits. Queen, A Night at the Opera. And High Infidelity, one of the big albums of the early 80s by R.E.O. Speedwagon. R.E.O. Speedwagon, sure. I, I think I'm going to make a case for them for rock and roll induction. Some good albums that came out the week of November 15th through the years. When it wonder time, Frankie, remember Richie Havens opened up Woodstock and was soaked in sweat and nobody yeah, else was there. Yeah, and they, he had to keep playing because he had no one else to come out on stage. <laughs> well, he had that great tune, Here Comes the Sun. It was number 16 in the spring of 71. And, of course, he also was a, a jingle writer and singer for a lot of songs like Cotton, The Fabric of Your Life. Oh, really? A lot of stuff he did for NBC TV and CBS TV, Amtrak, Coca-Cola, Maxwell House. And if you remember... Household Finance, back in the 80s here in Ohio, he he did the, you know, jingle for that. The follow-up, Freedom, though, failed to chart. It was also performed uh, at President Clinton's inauguration in 1993. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, and I say, it's all right. Little darling, the smiles are returning to the faces. Little darling, it seems like years since they've been there. Here comes the sun. Soul, R&B singer from Brooklyn, New York. Richie Havens died of a heart attack in 2013, but I love that song. Here Comes the Sun. Uh, I loved, you know, basically the idea of most of what he played, like Freedom. Um, he just had that, that style that was just, he went for it. Every yeah. time he played, he, he meant it. There were some really good covers of hits that were done. For instance, Light My Fire by mm-hmm. Jose Feliciano. Oh, yeah. To my mind, it's better than The Doors a lot of times, <laughs> depending on when you hear it. And and that's another one. Here comes the sun was just oh, fantastic. Cover. Yeah, and I'm surprised you said it went to 16. Yeah, boy, it was played so much. I would have been. I would have thought sure it was a top top 10, 10 hit. right? 
Be thankful for what you got. William Devon, 1974, uh, the R&B singer. William Devon from Washington, D.C., once worked for the federal government. Hit it number four in, uh, on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, summer 74, and number one on the R&B chart, which makes sense. Remember you that know, song? I did not remember it, so when I saw it on your list, I pulled it up, mm-hmm. took a listen, and boy, that's com- another song that's completely different from... Anything else that was going on on the radio at yep. that time? Actually, time for 74, it was a good record. A great tune. <laughs> Sunroof top digging the scene. Yeah. You know, gangster white walls and all. Absolutely. Great soul tune. Imagine cruising around in your Levi's Gremlin or your Chevy Monte Carlo in summer of 74 listening to that tune. I wish I would have known about it. <laughs> yeah, no. The recording session in 1972 featured members of the Philly group MFSB. Ah, okay. You know, TSOP. Sure. The record sold more than 2 million copies. The B-side, Be Thankful What You Got, uh, part two. And the follow-up song, Blood Is Thicker Than Water, not the Andy Gibbs song. Oh, Love okay. Is Thicker Than Water, but Blood Is Thicker Than Water was out in the fall of 74 and only reached number 43 here in the States. So it was kind of a short-lived career, but a really cool song. And if you're going to have one hit, make it a top five song, like Be Thankful For What You Got. Exactly. I'll bet you the B-side, not having heard it, it's just a really cool instrumental or something. So, Frankie, we've done our one-hit wonders. We still have a bunch to cover oh, sure. and more. Um, we have a new segment, two-hit wonders. Nice. Many artists uh, fail to just um, you know, have more than a couple of hits, but maybe with the first album or so, but not Dobie Gray. Did you know that um, he won a talent contest sponsored by Sonny Bono in like 1960? He was looking, Sonny wow. was, for singers who could sound like Elvis Presley. Okay. So Dobie entered the contest, won it, and... 
a two-hit wonder career was uh, well, dawning was born, yeah. for Dobie Gray. They gave him the name Dobie. Dobie Gillis was all the oh, rage okay, in the yeah. 70s. I remember Dobie The pride Gillis. of Simonton, Texas, born in 1940, Lawrence Darrow Brown. So Dobie Gray was on his way. You can't get away from the song Drift Away, the top five hit in the spring of 73. That's right. And I really thought that was his only hit, but Me you're too. saying there was more. Until I looked it up in the Bible, Billboard Top 100 book, the In Crowd was his other hit, yeah. not uh, in the same album. In fact, it was out eight years prior to that, 1965, hit number 13. He released about a dozen singles, but none would do better than number 37 with a 1979 release called You Can Do It. Okay. So Frank and I were talking, and we decided in order to classify it as two hits, it has to hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart number 25 or better. So if a right. song could be number one and then 25, that would qualify. Mm-hmm. But if it's number 26, just out of the running. But if he had number eight and number 23, that's cool. So Perfect. There's plenty of groups like Silver Convention with Fly Robin Fly and Get Up and Boogie that hit the top of the chart and then number two uh, from the same album or whatever. So the two hit wonders we'll be bringing back from time to time. It's a fun category. Great. We'll bring that back next week. All right, Frankie, album covers 1980. We have a couple more years to cover, but they were getting a little more difficult to find, weren't they? Yeah, um, it's tending to be less and less kind of artist and fun stuff and more and more kind of what I would call uh, corporate-looking covers. You got a couple of good ones, though, from 1984, us, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, starting off with a uh, big record from that year, Glass Houses by Mr. Billy Joel. Cover shows uh, Joel poised to throw a rock through a two-story window, <laughs> and that's his real-life waterfront glass house in Cove Neck, that's Long really? Island. And the back cover uh, shows Joel looking through the hole that the rock made in the glass. Uh, this seems to allude to the adage that people in glass houses shouldn't throw, throw stones. stones. 
I've heard that saying. Uh, featuring an edgier, hard rock feel than most of uh, Joel's previous works, Glass Houses opens uh, on side one with the sound of glass shattering. Uh, it's a nod to the cover art and to the album title. But there is also a subtext. Uh, as Joel said, it was, I'm going to throw a rock at the image people have of me as this mellow balladeer. Yeah, piano man, stranger. Exactly. Just the way you are. We had, uh, we had been a, doing rock and roll before, and there just happened to be more of it on this record. The old thing about people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones? I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. I think, why not? take chances. I really wanted to throw that rock at my own house. <laughs> so interesting there. It is. It seemed to me that it also symbolized the end of the 70s and you're kind of breaking through to a brand new decade. New music, right. uh, straight leg jeans. Um, it's still rock and roll to me. Uh, then the breaking of the glass was followed up quickly by You May Be Right. That was the, the exactly. start of the album. Great album. That's right. It, it was his seventh studio release in March of 1980, produced by Phil Ramone. The third time they were working together. They, yeah, you know, we've run into that name uh, yeah, a lot. Chicago and whatever. Mm -hmm. Stranger and 52nd Street were the others. It's still rock and roll to me. Don't ask me why. Sometimes a fantasy. It sold better than 7 million albums. A Grammy winner, too, for Best Rock Performance. And nominated for Album of the Year. Losing out to Christopher Cross and his debut album. Remember how he swept the Grammys he in 1981? He did. He came in, swept the Grammys, and barely heard from again. <laughs> yeah. He's still do, doing his thing today. But, wow. um, interesting. you know, it's it's been a while since he's had any music or anything. But he still exactly. tours, Christopher does, in his home state of Texas. What else you have for me? Well, the other one, uh, another big hit from that year, Against the Wind by Mr. Bob Seeger. Seeger himself said that the album is about moving ahead, keeping your sanity and integrity at the same time. That's when Capitol Records decided that the strong running horses would make a great metaphor for the album. The art director and form painter Jim Warren, they really wanted to feature horses on the cover. Warren told them, I don't do horses, as he'd never painted a horse in his life. <laughs> uh, they said, come on, you can do it. And finally he said, well, for Bob Seeger, sure, I'll try it. He came up with uh, a beautiful cover with six horses running through the surf, and you can see their reflections in the water below. On the back, three more horses, again with their reflections in the water, uh, and a simple track listing. Well, the album made number one on the Billboard chart <laughs> and won a Grammy for Best Album Package. He now does horses. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't quite overtake the wall at first. Right. Spent a few weeks behind that album by Pink Floyd and then jumped into the top spot for five or six weeks. Horizontal Bop, Her Strut, Fire Lake, and of course the title cut. Great album. It did win another Grammy, Frankie, for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. Nice. Along with the Best Album Packaging. Okay. By the way, Bob Seger's album... Live Bullet has been repackaged and fully remastered for the 45th anniversary The Bob Seger and Silver Bullet Band Classic. It's available on black vinyl with lithograph and limited red and orange swirl. I get a kick out of everything that's coming back out on vinyl, don't you? Everything old is new again. <laughs> exactly. Right, so Frankie, the top five songs out in November 15th, 1980, according to Billboard Hot 100. Diana Ross, I'm Coming Out. Queen, Another One Bites the Dust, number four. That's right. Donna Summer was still hitting it. The Wanderer, though I don't really remember that one. 
I do remember uh, she works hard for the money and a couple other tunes post disco. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand, "Woman in Love." That's the Barry Gibbs song. You know, okay. He, he kind of stepped away from the Bee Gees because of the disco thing, and so he started writing for other big artists like Barbara Streisand and performed on her song "Guilty." But "Woman in Love" was number two in 1980, and number one, the song written by Lionel Richie for Kenny Rogers, "Lady." Okay. Number one album, "The River." Springsteen, what'd you think of that album? Wow, what a fantastic double record set. Um, and it was the, the third of kind of his, uh, you know, that trilogy of Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town. And he just, uh, he really broke his career wide open with this record. Yeah. Uh, he would go on, obviously, to do Porn in the USA and plenty more. But this is the one that really uh, solidified him as, as an artist. And you probably saw him in concert right around that time as well. I did. I saw the River Tour. <laughs> Download Discovery Time. I've got one, and Frankie has one. What you have for me this week, Frank? Well, this is an interesting one from, well, one of my old favorites, uh, Lou Reed, uh, by the name of New York. It's an album. To be honest with you, I can count on my fingers the number of great albums released by a band or solo act once they reach 45 years of age. Perhaps they've said it all by that time, but most bands are well into being a nostalgic act by 46, the age that Lou was when he reached back for one more classic album. Released in 1989, it's a concept album uh, and a bit of a love letter to the city and its occupants. Uh, His liner notes direct the listener to hear the 57-minute album in one sitting as though you were uh, reading a book or at a movie. The lyrics also vent anger at many public (laughs) figures in the news at that time. Surprise, surprise. Reed mentions by name Rudy Giuliani, the president, president, the statue of bigotry, Bernard Goetz, Donald Trump. Now, this was many years yeah. before he became a politician. A couple would still work today. Exactly. Wouldn't they? Uh, Kurt Waldheim, Jesse Jackson, Louis Farrakhan, and Oliver North. Don't forget Mike Tyson. So, well, 
you know, it, with him, it's not as simple as left or right. He points fingers everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, songs like uh, Halloween Parade, Busload of Faith, and the Stark Dirty Boulevard paint a bleak, but at the same time, hopeful picture of New York. Sadly enough, the album peaked at number 40 on the charts mm-hmm. and has largely been forgotten. However, Mark Deming, uh, in his review for All Music, wrote that New York is a masterpiece of literate adult rock and roll and the finest album of Reed's solo career. I'll second that motion. Yeah, you want to get a hold of a good album. It's Lou Reed and the New York album, just entitled New York. Absolutely. Uh, Number 40 in the U.S., number 8 on the Dutch album charts, number 1 on the Swiss charts. There you go. Funny. Dion DiMucci, we've spoken about a few times on the show, sings backing vocals on the song Dirty Boulevard. Right, and uh, Dion, of course, was uh, one of Lou Reed's heroes. Mm Mm-hmm. Pedro lives out of the Wilshire Hotel. He looks out a window without glass. The walls are made of cardboard. Newspapers on his feet and his father beats him because he's too tired to beg. He's got nine brothers and sisters. They're brought up on their knees. It's hard to run when a coat hanger beats you on the thighs. Pedro dreams of being older and killing the old man. But that's a slim chance. He's going to the boulevard. On the dirty boulevard, he's going out to the dirty boulevard. He's going down to the dirty boulevard. This room costs $2,000 a month. You can believe it, man, it's true. Somewhere a landlord's laughing until he wets his pants. No one dreams of being a doctor or a lawyer or anything. They dream of dealing on the dirty boulevard. Give me your hungry, you're tired, you're poor, I'll piss on them. That's what the statue of bigotry says. Your poor huddled masses, let's club them to death. And get it over with and just dump them on the boulevard. Get them out on the dirty boulevard. Going out to the dirty boulevard. They're going down on the dirty boulevard. Going out. It's a bright night, there's an opera at Lincoln Center Movie stars arrive by limousine The Cleveland shoot up over the skyline of Manhattan Good one, Frankie Mine is Ecstasy, X-T-C The Mayor of Simpleton It's written by Andy Partridge, no relation to Danny and Ah, Keith Out in January 89 
number one single released from the album Oranges and Lemons. It only hit number 72 on the singles chart, yet hit number one on the Billboard Alternative Airplay chart, which was kind of a new thing back then. Yeah, that was just coming into being then. Yeah, but as you know, I really like alternative stuff. The song began as a reggae tune and was reworked to sound a little bit more like Don't Fear the Reaper, sort of. <laughs> a simple man proclaims his love for his girl, saying I may be mayor of Simpleton, I may be a simple man, but you know, I'll know what love is, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. It's a nice little up-tempo number called Mayor of Simpleton by XTC. Sounds like a good one. So you have that uh, in the New York album. I've got the single Mayor of Simpleton. That's this week's Download Discovery. Featured artist Frankie George Harrison this week, born February 25th, 1943, and died at only 58 years old on November 29th of 2001. Born in Liverpool, he had lung cancer and passed away uh, before his 60th birthday. That was very sad. Just very sad. sad. And so much has been written and spoken about all of the Fab Four that we're just going to sit here and, and talk about what we thought about their music and what we thought about them as individual artists. Uh, two concerts I would love to have seen. Of course, it would have had to be in New York for both. One, it would be the concert for Bangladesh. Oh, yeah. In August absolutely. of 71. Yeah. And the other one would be Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary concert, that double album release, also done at Madison Square Garden, Neil Young, Tom Petty. Johnny Winter was there, June Carter Cash, okay. Johnny Cash, Lou Reed, Eric Clapton, many, many others. Great song, My Back Pages, features Dylan on stage and Neil Young and a variety of other artists. I love that version of the song. It's fantastic. Um, so those are the two George Harrison concerts I would love to have seen. Just Absolutely. Didn't, just didn't do a lot of concerts, did he? No, he didn't. And um, you obviously saw uh, Paul come with, like, the Wings Over America. Uh, George really never did that. Uh, there was no triumphant tour, and I've always been a little bit sad about that. Yeah, me too. Two albums uh, that uh, were live. Concert for Bangladesh, 
August 1st, 1971, at MSG, it became the best-selling album. Three albums set. A feature film came in in the spring of 72. So I never did see the film. Did you? I did see it yeah. one time at uh, one of those uh, midnight showings or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was opened, the concert was, by Ravi Shankar, featured all of George's buddies, Leon Russell, Badfinger, Billy Preston, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton. Uh, won a Grammy, did it, uh, for Album of the Year. And then Live in Japan was released in the summer of 1992. So um, he did appear live on stage in Japan. Yeah, I think he had a short uh, kind of uh, what they would call Asian tour. Yeah. uh, But never really took it across the the United States, so to speak. No. Very spiritual man, humble, uh, great lead guitarist. He also was, was proficient with the slide guitar and the sitar and wanted to bring the Beatles into more of a folk rock type of sound. Uh, in 1966, he was getting into Transcendental Meditation. Yes. Um, Hare Krishna, uh, the Maharishi, Mahish Yogi, and introduced the rest of the band to him. And so they went in a different direction with uh, their influences of, of, you know, their time in India. Exactly. So, yeah, I think the other Beatles really didn't care for that too yeah. much. Uh, in fact, there were... Uh, more than one occasion, I've heard they've mentioned it in songs. That Fool on the Hill. Exactly. Yeah. So his albums came out with a solo album called Wonderwall in 1968. I don't remember that one, but you do. It's uh, kind of electronic, mm-hmm. um, and it's bad. Let's put it that way. It's not one that I would recommend any of our listeners going out and grabbing. A great album, though, in November of 1970, about six months after their breakup, All Things Must Pass. Collection. I do, and uh, it's a perfect uh, for the era because, of course, the 60s were winding down, but, of course, uh, perfect for the Beatles and their winding down. Yeah, and it was good that he came out with something so good so soon because it took, uh, even, took John Lennon a little bit of time. Even McCartney, you know, he had Uncle Albert and maybe I'm Amazed, so by 71 he was on his way. Ringo then with Don't Come Easy. 
and then photograph. So he was on his way. So it took just a, a bit of time for them to, to get going. But not George. All Things Must Pass, right out of the gate in 1970. Yeah, and that was well probably the best thing he'd ever do, Yeah, to be honest with you. Living in the Material World, that was a good one. That was in May of 1973. It featured the song Give Me Love, which replaced My Love at the top of the charts and singles charts. Wow, I didn't realize that. Living in the Material <laughs> World uh, displaced McCartney's Red Rose Speedway in 1973. I wonder what John was thinking at the time. That was a pivotal year for the three of them, yet John had mind games, and that was a, a decent couple of efforts from him in 1973 but right. photograph was number one my love give me love these other other mates or former band members were doing better than he was exactly and i i'm sure that got to him Dark Horse. Do you have that album? I, I don't have it. I know the song. No, I know the song. Again, I I think it's on. Uh, it was on his original greatest hits set, but the album, no. Not much to say about that one. 33 and a third, 1976. That uh, was uh, Cracker Box Palace, and that's where he appeared on Saturday Night Live. And exactly. The famous scene where, where were they offering $3,000 for the guys to get back together, and he says, that sounds a little chintzy to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, George Harrison came back with Blow Away and Love Comes to Everyone in 1979. Now, those are two of my favorite songs, especially Love Comes to Everyone. Didn't do very well on the singles chart, but Blow Away did. And back then, if you took a three-year break between albums, that was significant, Yeah, it was wasn't pretty it? much unheard of, yeah. They turned black, sky ripped apart, rain freeze, lit up to my heart, cracks in the leaks, the floor
He put an album on the 1968, 70, 73, 74, 75, 6, and then took a three-year break until exactly. 1979. He was really concerned about stalkers, and, and so he lived his last few years, especially after that knife attack in his house. Right. Uh, he was really concerned and just shattered by the death of John Lennon in 1980. So Somewhere in England came out in 1981. It features... Uh, the song All Those Years Ago. That's right. It was. Uh, it also featured Paul and Linda on backing vocals and Denny Lane, you know, of Wings, and Al Absolutely. Cooper with a K. Hit number two, the U.S. Hot 100, number one on the AC chart, All Those Years Ago. I'm shouting all about love Well, they cheated you like a dog And you were the one who had made it so clear All of Sad though, but you can see how he kind of looked up to John, didn't he? Yeah, and it's funny that, uh, well, ironic, let's put it that way, that all these years ago was kind of an up tempo uh, thing, and he'd yeah. written all those kind of dirges across the his timeline. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought that he'd come out with something like that uh, for John, but instead it was an upbeat number, yeah. so who knows? Empty, Empty Garden by Elton John a year later was kind of that, what you're talking about, exactly, kind of sad. Yeah. But all those years ago, da, 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 you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. written originally for Ringo Starr, and then George decided to kind of rework the lyrics and stuff after John had passed away. It might have been, yeah. And so um, he's the youngest of all the Beatles, you know, yes, born in 1943. So Cloud Nine, now he put, he put a little bit of time between albums, didn't he? 1981 exactly. to 88. 
Uh, but the uh, song Got My Mind Set on You was released in 87. It hit number one in the U.S., so people were still buying his music. Exactly. Number two in the U.K. You can find the live version of that song on his Live in Japan album in 1992. Sunglasses, and it's a really cool album cover. Uh, the live albums, as we mentioned, were, were good. Concert for Bangladesh and, and live in Japan. Just didn't do a lot of performing, did he? No, he didn't. Uh, he didn't. He, he seemed to retreat more and more to his home in England. Um, and, and in fact, I heard him say on more than one occasion that that's he kind of didn't want to come out of there. Yeah. Uh, because he didn't trust what was outside the walls of his garden. Um, you want to put a smile on your face, Frankie? Call up the song My Back Pages, which we spoke about oh, yeah. uh, with Love Bob Dylan's 30th mm-hmm. anniversary. You'll see Neil Young smiling on stage. No. Everybody. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dylan, Clapton, everybody was having fun that night. And that was like the culmination. And they were just some of who was performing. But what a great song that is. It is a great it's song. Fantastic. And uh, it's, it's fun when Dylan smiles because yeah, he doesn't do enough of it. Let's put it that way. Right. So the singles, My Sweet Lord. Kind of got into a little trouble for that, didn't he? Yes, he did. What is Life? That's probably my favorite of his, produced by George and Phil Spector, so he is still working with Phil. It's been featured in films like Goodfellas, Patch Adams, Big Daddy, and This Is 40. So I love Isn't uh, What Is Life. Oh, it's a great, great tune. Bangladesh, Isn't It a Pity, Give Me Love, which we spoke about. This song, uh, Got My Mind Set on You, great tunes, great tunes. Um, You know... The music of Bob Dylan and the birds kind of led him into that that folk rock thing that he was interested in, and then the introspective work that he did. Wrote some tunes like Tax Man and, you know, for Revolver. And That's right. He was writing songs right through the, the end of the Beatles and some good stuff too, wasn't he? Right, and I think that's why he was able to come out with those first couple of uh, really good albums mm-hmm. because he had a lot in his library of songs that... He just couldn't get it on an album at that point. Yeah, and he had some help too. You know, John Lennon, he didn't do, wasn't overly close with John in the 70s. 
but he was with Ringo. He did a lot of work with, with him, and so they collaborated. Now, other artists would collaborate with George as well. You know, kind-hearted soul he was. James Taylor, backing vocals. He worked with him on James's song, Carolina On My Mind. The Plastic Ono Band, he played electric guitar, George did, piano and backing vocals. He played uh, guitar and slide guitar on Don't Come Easy and Photograph by Ringo Starr. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. tunes. Also worked with Badfinger on their Straight Up album, which makes sense. Ringo Starr's Back Off Boogaloo. Remember that one? It's oh, a I fun definitely song. definitely do. Ringo's going to be our featured artist next week. He played the slide and acoustic guitars. Eric Clapton, Belinda Carlisle, Billy Preston, who we met in 1962. Uh, Tom Petty, Paul Simon, Gary Wright, even Mick Fleetwood, and Monty Python. Just about everybody on that side of the pond, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And his work, of course, with the traveling Wilburys, known as Nelson Wilbury, then Spike Wilbury. That kind of came about. They had the song in in the tank called Got My Mind Set on You. But they needed a good B-side. And back then, people weren't really buying singles anymore, were they? They moved on to CDs and stuff. So. They weren't just putting anything from an album on the B-side. They were putting something that would really push the sales of the A-side. So they said, George, what do you got? And he said, well, I'm working on this little tune with Jeff Lynn, who helped me produce the album. Okay. And it's something called Handle With Care. Nice. Well, Warner Brothers executives flipped. They loved the song, and they said, this is too good to be released on a B-side. We need to make this an A-sided an A-side, song. A-side, yeah. But is there any way you can, I don't know, get these guys together? The guys you know, your your mates, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Roy Ortman, Jeff Lynn, yeah, yeah. we'll try, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. So they all got together and came up with that great album, you know, uh, Traveling Wilburys. They never really thought about touring. They thought about it, and then I think Tom Petty said, you know, never would work. We couldn't really get it together. And I'm sure George didn't like the idea of touring. He was never a tour guy. <laughs> no, he wasn't. So the name Traveling Wilburys came out uh, came in two different ways. The Wilburys was a term George used for studio equipment, like uh, the filters and the equalizers and stuff. For some reason, oh, okay. they called Wilburys. Mm-hmm. And uh, originally, it was they were known as the Trembling Wilburys, but Jeff Lynn thought Traveling Wilburys sounded a little bit better, so the the band loved it and and they went on like that. So yeah, it sounds like an old blues band, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then Roy Orbison dr- died suddenly of a heart attack. And when they were about ready to release the the single End of the Line and the video, I think Roy was supposed to head out and film that video, but passed away beforehand. So they had that really cool image of the rocking chair Mm -hmm. and the guitar in it rocking while Roy was singing his part. So that was pretty much it for the Traveling Wilburys. They had one or two albums. But Handle with Kira was awesome, wasn't it? Very good. Uh, And it was a fun... Fun record and fun idea, you know? Yeah. It, I'm glad it worked. George put out a lot of great songs, didn't he? A lot of he, good stuff. He did, and uh, I've always said about the Beatles, uh, obviously they had two of the greatest songwriters um, in history, but if George Harrison is your third best songwriter, yeah. you've got something going. Something special. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> and I think that's really uh, one of the things that made the Beatles who they were, is that they had that extra voice that could chime in and do something just a little bit different than the other guys are doing. And I was surprised at how well Ringo Starr jumped out as a solo artist in 1971 with the Don't Come Easy and then photographed some other great tunes. And not to mention the great work he's done with Ringo Starr's All Star, spelled with two R's, That's right. band since 1989. He'll be our featured artist next week. 
That's George Harrison, this week's featured artist. Thanks for joining me, Frankie. Thanks for having me. We'll go down memory lane again uh, next week with uh, Ringo Starr as our featured artist on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. For Frank Ost, I'm Tim Friedman. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.